As one of horror's more prominent auteurs, best known for adapting the tales of H.P. Lovecraft to the medium of celluloid in a clever, entertaining style that was in genuine keeping with the spirit of the original stories, Stuart Gordon continued true to form with his 1995 movie Castle Freak. Reuniting the acting powerhouse duo of Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, Castle Freak diverges somewhat from Gordon's other outings for being more dramatic in its delivery. The tone of this film has more of a kinship with the gothic aesthetic of Mario Bava and Hammer Studios than that of, say, Sam Raimi and other contemporaries to Gordon, all in spite of what its unfortunate title entails. Castle Freak weaves themes of loss, betrayal, madness, torture, and murder into a chiaroscuro tapestry of a tale, a tale where a man and his family are the unfortunate inheritors of an evil that was begat unbeknownst to them at a long time ago and in a country far from home. And we break it all down tonight on this episode of Midnight Flicks. Director of Fortress, The Pit and the Pendulum, and Reanimator takes you into the dungeons of Castle Dorsino. Now, an American family. Welcome to Castle Riley, Maiden. Will inherit a legacy of evil. They say. The Cosleys. And a master of modern horror. <laughs> will unleash his most terrifying creation. Stuart Gordon's Castle Free. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late-night purgatory. I am your host, Adam Walker, and joining me on this cinematic expedition, as always, is Pat Mitchell. How's it going over there in Stormland, Indiana? This is very apropos for the uh, movie that we're discussing tonight. I'm in the middle of a violent, I would say, thunderstorm. And uh, I hope it it provides the appropriate uh, backdrop for our discussion. Yeah. As I was saying before I hit record, I hope it gives us a little bit of ambiance for this little gothic horror movie uh, that we're going to talk about. Hopefully no freaks are hanging out on your rooftop. The only freak is right here in front of you, baby. <laughs> the freak is in the sheets. You're, li- <laughs> you're literally in your bed right now. 
now we for we had foregone doing this the past couple episodes we we went off a little bit of a more of a tangent onto the specific directors we're talking about do we want to circle back around this episode talking about any uh other movies we've been watching lately besides the featured presentation we want to talk about that i think um just because we've had uh so many um banger directors uh back to back to back that we could just keep with the theme and maybe just uh talk about Stuart Gordon a little bit uh as a as a little appetizer before we get into the freaky main course. Yeah, I'm cool with that too because the main reason why we're doing this now is because of the recent passing of Stuart Gordon and we wanted to kind of pay a little bit of tribute to him because this was not as far as I know immediately on my my list of the initial movies to watch if I recall but you know I wanted to talk about a Stuart Gordon movie and specifically I wanted to talk about this movie because like with previous episodes where we talked about movies that were a little bit of left of center of a, of a particular director or a particular franchise. I like to talk about the, the more redheaded stepchildren uh, of, of the bunch, the runts of the litter, if you will, sometimes to really talk about how there are these lost little gems and, and, and discuss what maybe uh, some people that aren't as cool as us are missing. Yeah, and we didn't. We could have gone really fucking weird and just did Dagon, but we could have. <laughs> we could have. This is Castle Freak is right in the in the middle of his filmography in terms of palatability. I you know I don't. It's not as uh, universally renowned as say Reanimator, um, but it's also not <laughs> you know undercover like Dagon, which is more of just a passion project to do another very, very a prominent HP Lovecraft short story, which speaking of uh, uh, Castle Freak is also an adaptation of a, of an HP Lovecraft short story. So he seems to be the HP Lovecraft connoisseur and, and for sure the greatest HP Lovecraft, uh, page to screen director uh ever in terms of what he's put out absolutely yes that was a thing that for sure i wanted to discuss was the fact that Stuart gordon represents the lovecraft the lovecraftian mythos and style the best of just about any horror director that i can think of because other horror, other Lovecraft adaptations I've seen, uh, I'm probably going to miss some, not thinking right off the top of my head, but really, they miss the mark. And Stuart Gordon is just able to bring them to life so much more effectively than other attempts. And that's really, I feel like, his ultimate hallmark as a director, uh, re-adapting re or adapting things. Um, and he has such a he has such a singularly impressive, weird, quirky style. Uh, I would say akin to like say Sam Raimi, where he's able to meld 
the horror and the gore and the over the topness with like almost a, like a slapstick element to the movies that make them just they're very fun to watch it's uh and it would definitely for like repeat viewings you know you can you know you never tire of putting them in and, and watching them. like that's why i love reanimator so much and it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time because it takes this ridiculous fucking crazy comedic aspect to it and melds it with these dark disgusting and risque gory taboo parts so well so yeah his movies especially uh the replay value is uh through the roof um i think i've rewatched his movies more than than any other uh directors you know in terms of bulk filmography i you know i've seen reanimator a million times i've seen from beyond a million times um castle freak i haven't seen as many maybe like a dozen or so but i've seen castle freak a bunch um me and uh, a buddy of mine in high school always loved to watch um king of the ants mm-hmm. which is one of his later movies and it is fucking bonkers in terms of uh it might be his craziest uh in terms of just pure shitball insanity um <laughs> and back in high school i didn't even i didn't even know it was Stuart gordon i didn't i didn't connect those pieces until later in yeah. life but um yeah i it's a super fun filmography he'll truly be missed even though he hadn't really been making films um in the past decade or or more um but the the run that he did is is super memorable and um the levity that he's lovecraft stories because a lot of these lovecraft stories are very dark and obviously uh (laughs) ominous and and uh, xenophobic and all that sort of stuff so it's impressive that he was able to bring any level of comedic value to it um without uh tainting the original um source material yeah and that being said that segues into what i was going to bring up about this movie in particular though this movie in those regards is i feel like an exception this is Stuart gordon's one of his more um darker serious movies there's not a lot of there's there's no there's no um there's no comedic value in this movie that's for sure yeah Yeah. there's there's no comedic reprise to this to this movie there's no slapstick element it's a pretty dark movie and has some pretty brutal scenes that you know again you don't you aren't afforded the palate cleanser of the comedic elements to to wash it down as you are with like especially reanimator no so. it's more brutal in that way um but it does stand out because of that but yeah i, I love it i mean um yeah should, should we uh should we dive into it yeah so that's yeah let's let's go ahead and, and dive straight into it i feel like that was a good way to to set this up um so <clears throat> basically the premise of castle freak is uh, a troubled family inherits a 12th century castle in italy and upon visiting with their uh, blind teenage daughter, discovers that it is inhabited by a malicious presence, the likes of which threatens them and those that enter the castle. 
So in yes. a lot of ways, it's, 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 to me, this is, again, a very almost classic gothic horror tale. It's essentially a haunted castle sort of tale. Yes, yeah, very much a haunted house. Uh, it's a, it's like a Bava, like I could see Mario Bava having done some, some uh, instance of this at, at one point in his, in his career, like a gothic horror, classic gothic horror tale, uh, where the the uh, violence and uh, sexual violence, though being ramped up uh, tenfold, <laughs> which is not in a lot of gothic horror. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So yeah, it's 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 a, it's a more contemporary modern take on that sort of template. And yes, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, and it's it stars this actually because we talked about this the last uh with the last episode uh being our first Bruce Campbell episode where we talked about him. But this features another horror all-star Mr. Jeffrey Combs. So this will be our first Jeffrey Combs movie and Barbara Crampton, both of course, alumnus of the Stuart Gordon school of film. So we got, yes, we got two uh, horror underground horror heavyweights in this movie uh, brought together once again for, I would say this is what the third time. Yes, because there. Yeah, because this takes place after Reanimator and From Beyond. Yeah, and I don't, I, and I can't recall them being in any other movies together, but maybe they are. But yes, so for not a, that I know of. For for a three peat, we get the 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 Combs Crampton duo, and and we're all the better for it because as far as you know, actors go, horror actors, they're they're some of the best. So yes, yeah, I, absolutely. Um. So I would say without further ado, let's go ahead and just get right into this movie with our uh, good, bad, and the questionable uh, section. Let's do it. What uh, my good is a never ending, seemingly, because I I love this movie and there's a, a ton of good. Um, where, where do you want to start? Yes, same here. My my good is significantly more on the heavier end of the spectrum. It's a little more lopsided with this. Not a lot of bad to talk about. Not a lot of really questions to discuss. But again, we'll get to that point. Um, first and foremost, because it starts off with the top of the movie. The good for me is, once again, we are treated to uh, a Richard Band soundtrack. And Richard Band, he did the soundtrack. He composed the soundtrack for Reanimator uh, as well. And he has a very distinct style. He has this distinct chamber orchestra, sort of, uh, again, gothic, macabre sort of style with a lot of screeching uh, strings and you know, it really sets the mood immediately. The only thing missing from this that makes, uh, let's say, the reanimator uh, credit intro so superb is the uh, 
the iconography and graphics of the floating uh, anatomy figures uh, that I love so much uh, with that one. So we're not treated with the visual aspect, but still the soundtrack to kick it off is, is really off the bat, really sets the tone for this and is amazing. Absolutely. Agreed. So um, as hinted, as talked about earlier with the synopsis, this is basically a haunted house, haunted castle movie. And I'll tell you what, man, I'm, I'm a sucker for, for haunted, creepy castles and just about anything. I love a good, what, uh, you know, like a, what goes bump in the night. Uh, I, 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 I also love a good inheritance movie. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I love a good, like some weird uncle in your history, you know, passed you down some fucking weird haunted castle in some respects, like house on haunted Hill is, is not necessarily a, an inheritance movie, but that's sort of like invitation to a, um, you know, a, a dark scenario that is unbeknownst to you until you're in the middle of the shit um like 13 ghosts as well like that that sort of i love a good inheritance story where you inherit inherit evil uh i love that yeah Yeah, absolutely absolutely. and um i actually had some questions in regard to that just as that as a general concept but yes still i love that as a as a story trope the uh Yeah. yeah the the dark inheritance that you know, the, the inheritor that, that acquires it really has no immediate direct connection to who, you know, the person that is, you know, handing down the inheritance. So, yeah, yeah. so it leaves a lot open for some uh, some evil, weird shit. Um, another thing I liked about this, and Gordon's done this in other movies, you mentioned Dagon, obviously. He actually uses uh, regional actors. He actually used Italian actors and it's set in Italy, as opposed to some hack fucking shit that I see, you know, especially with a lot of movies, you know, in the past past decades where they try and shoehorn some fucking American actor into it, speaking the dialect. And it's just like every time or most of the time you're like, why didn't you just get somebody that is from that area or is of that ethnicity, you know, as, as opposed to essentially black facing them? You know, a yeah, a tallow facing them. You know, and then, whatever, man. There's plenty of movies I like where they've done that, <laughs> but it still sucks. You know, and you know, it's like having some fucking American actor try to, you, try a you know a really bad attempt at a Russian, or you know French Victorian accent. My partner and I were just talking about uh, what was it uh, what's that movie? Not fucking indecent proposal, obviously, but um fuck it's got john malkovich and keanu reeves in it but they're especially there's they're essentially you know 18th century 17th century french aristocrats and it's just like oh oh you know what i thought fucking jeopardy music yeah (laughs) we'll get to the bottom of this but you know a movie like that or another movie that really would grind my fucking gears is Gorky Park where uh, you know the actors are all English or American and they're just their their portrayals of a Russian accent of a Soviet Russian accent is 
the fucking worst. Yeah, I like that he uses the vocals. Um, uh, d- dangerous liaisons. Thank you. Yes, dangerous liaisons. So something like that. So he at least sticks to some sort of realism in those regards and using regional talent or, you know, some sort of talent that makes it seem like it's happening in that place. So I, yeah. Well, so, um, we already talked about this obviously, but Gordon, any, pretty much any Gordon adaptation of Lovecraft fucking rules. I've never seen a single movie where he's, gone for it and and it was a swing and a miss so thank you for doing that thank you for giving all of us the things that we need um obviously also jeffrey combs big big good but i will say this i i he actually is in somewhat my bad category for this really but i will get to it it's not like a bad bad but it it's 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 a it's a it's a nitpick that I have. I am shocked. It's a nitpick that I have with him in in this capacity in this role. But I'll get to that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that's just a few of mine right off the top. You got any that you want to come in come in with? Oh yeah. Um, well, I was going to say. Um, for, first of all, I was going to gush about Jeffrey Combs a little bit because he is just masterful in everything he does to me and one of the most underrated actors at least a b-movie actor maybe ever um he's in a bunch of star trek shit if you watch deep space nine at all he plays like three different characters in some episodes he's two or three different characters in the same episode he's just he's just wonderful I, i i just adore him um and his portrayal of, of John Riley uh, is really a testament to his acting because it's it's truly not easy to pull off acting wasted as fuck and make it believable. And I liked I liked his uh, at the bar wasted as fuck performance. Um, See, that, that's where my bad comes in, but I'll we'll talk about that later. I will, we'll, t- we'll, you can, we'll touch upon that then, um, in the bad, but I, I liked it. I, I thought he, I thought he did a great job, but moreover, I thought him and Barbara Crampton really, uh, in terms of good, good, they have like a lived in marriage. That's clearly on the rocks. There's scenes between them that are just fucking phenomenal. Right. Like, you really do believe that they are like this bickering, uh, couple dealing with the grief of a, a, a dead child yeah, yeah. They, they play play the the tormented tortured dysfunctional couple very well and i and i will say just even back to reanimator they clearly had some really good chemistry because with reanimator they yeah. do too where you know there's this there's this on-screen sort of tension and just disgust for each other that even goes back you know to that movie <laughs> Yeah, and and the, that is a good segue into my other good, which was it was nice to see Barbara Crampton not being like a uh, a full front yeah being little screen queen, right? <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, exactly. She's like a legitimate wife and mother in this, yeah, and 
She, I mean, she she does take off her shirt at one point, but it's not in any sort of like objectifiable manner. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't have any nude scenes or anything like that. But um, yeah, that, I, I liked that. I like just seeing her in that role. There are there are some some creepy uh, off putting nudie scenes in this movie, but not with her. It's just, it's nice that it did not involve her. I, you know, you almost fully expect that some shit is going to happen because she's in it. And they just, it's like if you see Linnea Quigley in a movie. Yeah. You're like, here we go. <laughs> Gonna see Linnea's tits at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it just, it's, it's just the, the persona that she has cultivated for herself. Um, and it's comfortable in, and Barbara Crampton and, and to a lesser degree did that, but it was nice to see her in, in this role where she wasn't having to do that. <laughs> well, the, the thing with Barbara, I was going to say the thing with Barbara Crampton, as opposed to say like Linnea Quigley is Barbara Crampton typically plays roles where in the onset of her character's introduction or development uh, through a movie, she's playing what would be considered a respectable woman a respectable female uh, or an innocent female and then she gradually gets subjected to awful shit where she has to you know be naked and whatnot and just be objectified so whereas Linnea Quigley she embodies these roles of just uh, of maniacs from the get-go that does crazy shit and then has crazy yes. shit, shit happen to them <laughs> yeah that's true. That's a good differentiation. Um, I thought the, the given that it's 1995, they didn't have much access to CGI. So CGI wasn't able to ruin this fucking movie, but I thought all the practical effects were fucking stellar. The thumb breaking, oh, the fuck. nipple ripping, yeah. um, all of the, the visceral biting and shit. It, it, it did not look like, prosthetic shit or anything like that it looked great yeah 100 percent. and uh, that was on my good and that brings me to talk about the other thing uh which is giorgio the quote-unquote freak in general is fucking awesome um, um the the dedication that they put he did a great job yeah the the dedication they put into crafting that makeup for that character is is very believable and very realistic and you could definitely like you could imagine that being some unfortunate soul that's been tortured and you know left in a dungeon for decades locked away locked away just to become this this shadowy fucking demonic ghost of a human (laughs) so well just like how you had a little bit of bad for Jeffrey Combs. I have a, I have some bad with Giorgio and not the performance itself. Um, but we'll get to that in the bad. Okay. Uh, let's keep knocking out some good. What more, what more do you have? Um, again, the tying into the seriousness and the gravitas of this movie I like the whole underlying theme of this movie where it's basically talking about this, this relationship with a, a family's lineage being cursed essentially where it's like, it's almost like it comes full circle where, you know, there's the sins of the father uh, that kind of sets us all in motion and it ends with 
the sun's reaping the uh uh reaping the cost essentially and you know it's like it's like a cool uh it's a cool way to represent you know what is you know something that is you know present in in everyday society obviously that doesn't you know involve the the, the fantastical horror and that's you know fam- familial discussion or fam- sorry familial dysfunction that is burdened you know through generation and generation and causes all the kinds of problems that it does you know obviously with this starts off with you know you know a horribly abused and tormented son uh through you know at no fault of their own they never asked for this they're basically you know they are literally the whipping boy of of a of a bad dysfunctional relationship and then it leads to you know with the alcoholic father and the problems of that cause and then you know bringing it you know again full circle to you know having this father face his past uh and face his 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 uh you know his his familial beginnings to this horrific you know conclusion essentially so i like that whole aspect of the story you know again it's it's a serious uh despairing tale so yeah and in in no uncertain terms um i like that the the castle freak himself is you know a representation of of the grief of their lost child right. um it's something that's locked away not to be spoken of yeah. um and so in a lot of ways the parallels of of the loss of of their son is paralleled with uh you know the freak and how he manifests a lot of those uh a lot of those despairing realities from their past i, I thought that was all fucking great if if not without being like super obvious too it's like yeah. all very it's all very melded together nicely it's not like uh you know they're not punching you over the fucking head with it. In some movies, they, they want you to get these integral connections and, and right. it's not like that. It's, but it's, 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 uh, it's definitely there. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Cause it's still, it's, it is a horror movie and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's for all intents and purposes, again, being a serious movie, it's still, it's a, it's a B low budget movie. So there's only so much that can be, you know, delivered in terms of like dramatic seriousness through that vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another good for me, as far as uh, length of time, this movie to me is just right. It, you know, there's never a moment that drags in this movie. It, it's, it starts off, you know, with, a, you, know, you know, with you engaged and you, you're along for the whole ride the whole time and it's over before you know it. And it's not too short. So, you know, there's enough yeah, time for it. It doesn't lull. There's no lull. No. It's perfect. I agree. There's no lull. It's not It's not abrupt. The ending comes appropriately enough. Um, and the, the that was the other thing I was going to say about the ending. I like the ending. I like that they don't have a swerve like they do at the end of every goddamn horror movie where they reveal like the monster had survived or whatever. There's right. no swerve at the end. 
it's an open and shut case. Uh, these are the kinds of movies that always like to try to leave that kind of door open just to get a cash grab sequel out of it Absolutely. or just to leave, leave that possibility open. It's, it's it. He's dead. He's fucking dead at the end. And there's no question about it. There, you know, it is what it is. I, there, I like that about it too. Right. And, and it also says that there's really no resolution to this at all. It's, it's, it was a, it was a sad tale, a horrifying tale that ended with more horror <laughs> yeah, to have him survive does not uh lend itself to the gravity of the situation. It, it doesn't it doesn't uh give you the despair needed for this movie. Like the fact that he dies is even though, you know, he's like on a murderous like rapey rampage the whole the whole movie. Yeah. Um the fact that he dies is also sad in, in and of itself because he's a product of, of the way he was raised and, you know, locked up and he's almost animalistic because of, of that. And he doesn't know right from wrong. So it's, you, you feel for him, even though he's doing these terrible things, you feel for him because, because he was never, he doesn't know right from wrong. Precisely. And that was another thing I had written down was, yeah, he's a wild animal. So you're revolted by what he's doing, but yeah, as you said, you sympathize because he's completely created uh, to be that way without his own volition, you know? So, and yeah. And that, what I wanted to say, as far as that goes too, with the, the resolution and conclusion, I really, really like that ending. I like that ending battle scene that they have on the roof. Yeah, uh, you know, you know, with man, the, the, you know, the the tortured, uh, human monster man with like the more like monstrous creation here, and they just you know they're battling till the bitter end, which eventually happens with them falling and and dying. Um, and I had a thought while we were just having that discussion, um, with it not really having you know like it doesn't leave this. Uh, opening for any sort of, you know, well, what if, and what if the monsters survived, or what if, like the the family, you know, was able to come through with all uh, pull out of this, and you know, have some sort of sane resolution or whatever resolution. But I had this thought really briefly, where in a lot of ways, this ending kind of reminds me of the ending of Pumpkinhead, um, where it's like yeah. simil- where it's like very similar. It's like even like the monsters kind of like have a similar sort of like resemblance but it's like yeah. the same sort of thing where it's like it's this tragic tale involving a father and a son and you know basically you know it just it, it, nothing good comes out of it at all it just ends with like a lot of death and a lot of sadness and you know at the end of the movie you're just left with like fuck man <laughs> yeah you are you really so, are that's a good comparison though i like that so yeah i just briefly had that flash of a thought in my head um and really that sums up my goods uh and i just want to say also again i feel like uh the actor jonathan fuller who played giorgio in this i felt like he did a really good job of portraying the monster and it's funny because when i was looking at his filmography uh again while i was watching this and taking notes apparently he wasn't really in a lot this you know this is movie is like a, a handful of movies he did which is yeah interesting because you know he plays a pretty convincing monster so who knows i, I agree feel like he could have been like uh what is it uh like a, a a doug jones sort of person you know like the 
the actor that he's just relegated to uh yeah being fucking being the the freak in every movie but you know doug jones locked out lucked out obviously with you know working with uh uh del toro and playing all of his his main his main monsters true so nice nice job if you can get it there doug jones (laughs) (laughs) playing cool monsters and cool movies I feel like um, they don't need to throw makeup on Doug Jones. He just looks like a fucking freak monster. He does look weird. Uh, That's why I, Del Toro just likes using him. He's like, all right, he doesn't need to sit in the makeup chair. Just get on <laughs> set there, okay. Doug. Uh, I, didn't I, know I mean, Doug already has like the gills on the side of his neck, so yeah, that helps too. He's super pale and just, yeah, very <laughs> alien looking. I don't know if you knew this. A little side note. Did you know that he uh, he's from Indiana? Doug Jones is from Indiana. Yeah, he's a graduate of Ball State. <laughs> the armpit of America. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, Doug, Doug Jones does look like he's from Muncie, so that doesn't shock me. That's that's <laughs> that's crazy though. That he's is. A, he's a Munsell Tucky casualty, and the, and it worked out for him apparently. As opposed to I'll, I'll claim else from the- I'll claim him next time I'm running through all the people that are from Indiana that people don't fucking know about. Hundred percent. That's one thing I love to throw in people's faces when they they want to like either ignore or talk shit about Indiana because I I will defend it till I die. As I'm like, there's a lot of cool people that came from Indiana, all right? and a lot of cool bands. So fuck you. I still to this day claim that Guns N' Roses is a fucking Indiana band. They're not L.A. Get the fuck yeah, out of here. Two of the main songwriters are from there. Yeah. So eat shit. Yeah. Well, I claim Izzy. I don't. I'm not sure if I wanna you want to fucking claim. Yeah, not 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 on your team, huh? No Bill Bailey. No Bill Bailey for you. I'll claim Izzy all day, baby. That's fine. I, I agree with that. Um, moving on to the bads again. Pretty pretty uh pretty small list here, so we'll bang this out pretty quickly. Um, so I will start this off by saying the main big bad of mine with this movie, and always has been with this movie, is the name of the movie. Come the fuck on. Like, I feel like naming this movie Castle Freak did this movie such a disservice. And when we get into the wiki wormhole trivia aspect, there's actually a funny little tale that goes behind it. But if you don't know the context within, uh, you know, where this title came from, and I remember when this movie came out, I had the issue of Fangoria. And even back then, because this was in you know the early '90s, I was like, oh, "Castle Freak, man," you know. And I'm like a 14 year old fucking kid, and I'm just like, "That name's." And it wasn't even cool to you then. Yeah, and like that really dissuaded me from watching this movie for years because I fucking hated that title. Do you but, think it would have been better? And we haven't touched. We haven't even mentioned this. We we mentioned it, but we didn't mention the title. This is based off of H.P. Lovecraft short story called The Outsider. Um, would you have liked if this was called The Outsider? No, and I can see why they wouldn't have done that because then it would have got confused with The Outsiders. So there would have been a whole slew of issues with that. Yes, you know, agreed. And, and so, but I feel like it, the name could have been better. And when we get into the wiki wormhole talk, we will discuss why I feel like there was behind the scenes maneuvering and executive decisions that were made that kneecapped this movie from being probably more recognized uh, than it became. Uh, And not to say, you know, whatever, I I feel like Stuart Gordon and and other people involved were completely fine with us being a sleeper hit movie. 
But I feel like if there would have been some better decision-making from the executive end, that this movie would be more recognized and would be held in higher regard next to Stuart Gordon's other movies. So whatever. Um, I hate the fucking name. So I'll agree. Um, another thing I will say real quick, and this is something this is a continuing theme with us, uh, is people the, bad at their job, people bad at their jobs, not only in regards to the cops, which is in my list, but John is a bad dad. We got another bad dad. Here. Well, yeah. I mean, He's so I, I, I don't, I didn't know how much explanation we wanted to do off the top, but John Riley, uh, was in a drinking and driving accident with his two children in the car that left his daughter blind and his son dead. Yes. And that is the catalyst for, uh, a lot of the tension in his marriage and the, pretty much his life falling apart due to the drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, he's, I, I, I think it's due in part to like truly bad dads are like bad because they, and then they also don't have any other reason for why they're so shitty, which mm-hmm. makes them shittier. Yeah. He's got like lots of demons that he's fucking tackling. So I give him more of a pass because He's not in his right mind. And I feel like in a more sober uh, state and without this um, alcoholism, this addiction that he has, that he could possibly be a good dad. Yeah, he has the capacity to be a good dad despite the circumstances. But that also goes back to the discussion we were having with the the premise of this story being about, you, you know, dealing with dysfunctional families and loss and things like that, that him being a bad dad is tragic because it it is a discussion that deals with this idea that we're slaves to our fate, essentially. That no matter what John Riley did in his life to be a better person, to be a better family man, uh, that his shitty life was already spun into motion by the poor decisions that his father made by leaving the Duchess, you know, and, and then all the problems that, you know, had, had come the chickens that came home to roost, you know, later in life with, with John killing his son. And that's what I mean. There is this, this, this inherent idea or inherent sort of, um, current within John Riley's life that no matter what he's gonna be, a, he's gonna be fucked essentially. So yes, that's I agree with you. He 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 probably would want to be a better person, but it's out of his control. He has a, a legacy of of shame. Yes, he has a <laughs> legacy of shame that he has to deal with. Um, getting into what I touched upon with Jeffrey Combs, as much as I love him as an actor, I think he's amazing where this role kind of went off the rails just slightly is I feel like that the, the drunk bar scene is his over actor coming out and that's, that's, but that works in his benefit, especially in reanimator where his intense overacting is what makes Herbert West. Obviously that's essential, but 
in this regards, there's it pokes out a little bit in certain in certain parts of the movie where to me is just like okay, you know, it, I I don't have like any big problem with it. It's just again, it's a very small nit to pick. And <laughs> while I was watching it, all I could think about is the fact that because I've worked in bars and I've been an industry person for so long that I see how actually fucked up people act, <laughs> and and there's the difference between someone who's acting like somebody who's fucked up and somebody who is fucked up. And, you know, when I watch that, I'm like, okay, people don't actually act like that. That's a drunk. That's an actor acting like a drunk person. But anyway, <laughs> but it's still funny. It was like, that was like, that was like a little bit of levity in the movie, you know, where he's acting like, you know, a slurring fucking idiot. <laughs> it's the only reprieve. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. There's no other yeah. moments where you're where you can laugh about things other than if you want to be, you know, macabre and shitty like I am, where you laugh when the cops die. Oh, I thought you were gonna say laugh when the cat died. Oh, that was awful. Oh, yeah. So that brings me that brings me to my one of my other dads. Why does Stuart Gordon hate cats? Yeah, because in that initial scene where the cat gets pulled into the dungeon chamber. Mm-hmm. It looks like that cat was getting hurt. I thought this. I thought the same on. thing. I thought the same thing, but I'm also referencing how obviously in Reanimator, there's a whole fucking dead cat bit. <laughs> I know. I, know. I, I couldn't stop thinking about like, why does he just have a theme of fucking fucking with cats? So maybe that's a thing. Maybe that's a thing that <laughs> we don't know about. Is Super Gordon hated cats? Is it a reference to H.P. Lovecraft's uh, tale that shall not be named about a cat? It could be. There's a, there, are, there is an ongoing theme of cats in H.P. Lovecraft. So, there is. So there, there might is. Be a, that, there might, that's possible, uh, a possible homage. Yes. That we, we, could, we could fall down that a little bit, but yeah, that is a possibility. Um, what else? The only other thing I had silly nitpick that prostitute's hair is fucking awful <laughs> everything about looks, that prostitute is like uh, she's a babe she's fucking hot that is it a looks, wig i don't know i didn't understand what was going on with it yeah i don't know man but it looked like a brillo pad that was like fucking electrified yeah it was not good not a good look it's a bad it was a bad look yeah i couldn't I go home with that prostitute Precisely, I'm like I ain't fucking that prostitute. But he was uh, wasted, so maybe I don't know. Who fuck knows? Yeah, he is. He was hella getting up in that. And you know, it's funny because at when I watched it this time, I kind of wrote this down a little bit. I was like, wow, like man, this scene, it's it's pretty racy. But I was like, nah, what am I thinking? Like, fuck, this is the dude that had a, a disembodied, decapitated head eat pussy on screen. Yeah. This is nothing. But at first yeah. I was like, wow, man, it's like it's full on Jeffrey Combs's face is up in that puss. No, once going, yeah, going to dinner. Comparatively, these these movies are 10 years apart, I think almost exactly. I think Reanimator is like 85 and this is 95. And you still don't recover from from that scene to where I mean this is this is like some PBS shit comparatively. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's all I've got. What about you? Anything else? I was going to say that Rebecca, uh, played by Jessica Dollarhide, belongs in like an Argento movie. Is she, it's almost like she's acting in a different movie. 
she's giving me major like Suspiria vibes. I was gonna say you you've got it in for the, for the the young. I do I do have it in for the young Ar- Argento uh, uh, leads. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I that is to say that that she was awful. <laughs> I I did not like her performance. Um, it was whatever. I put it was whatever the. the I think actually tackling the disability of being blind, she did a good job. It just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just, she had like the dubby kind of performance where it just seemed like everything she said was fucking dubbed, uh, which gives off a weird quirky vibe, especially when it's backdropped with everyone else that's not dubbed. She she seems like she's acting out of time, like she's out of a different movie. Maybe maybe, um, that, maybe that was more a Stugor it's homage to the Italians. That's that that is very possible. I, I, I wouldn't put it that that's true. Mm. Um I put John Re- <laughs> I put John Riley's ability to read a room. Uh he tries <laughs> to make out he tries to make out with his wife in the very middle of an argument over their dead son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty brazen and, and tight. Um, was better better time good. than now. If I'm not going to get it in now, then it's well, never going to happen. Be like, hey, we lost that kid. Let's get to making another but, one. Hey, we're in the fucking dungeon. <laughs> you know, get it going. Castle Freak 2, Dungeon Baby. Um, <laughs> while the special effects are good, and I touched upon this in the in the or in the good. I think that 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 the Castle Freak's bodysuit is bad in some shots. Bad, bad. There's shots where it gets all bunched up when he's like running, and it gets wrinkly. It does, it came, comes off as more like Creature from the Black Lagoon, like onesie uh, horror <laughs> suit. Um, but then there's other shots. Here's the thing: he's not he's not wearing the suit in the entire movie. When there's more close up. E shots they just use traditional makeup um but when they have to do like the full body shots of him like e-goring around the fucking halls i think it gets bunched up and looks kind of it just again this is nitpicky shit because this movie rules so <laughs> yeah i just that that was the end of my bad i feel like they did a good job of showing a, a dickless freak in this movie yes. that was okay well this is the perfect segue into questionable no more bad right yeah, we can move on if you're done. That is one of my questions. Is has he been castrated or are we dealing with a micro penis here? I I am going to say that he was castrated by his mother. So her mouth is like the prostitute's mouth is like down there or heads down there or whatever and it looks like there's just nothing there and so she decides like she can't suck his dick. She's like, "Well, what the fuck am I supposed to do?" Um but then there's like another shot where he's like kind of again egoring around the the halls, and you can clearly see his dick. Maybe well, that was just a, you know. So apparently, I had read a little bit, which I didn't know about this before doing more research for this movie, that there is an online controversy about what happened to his dick. Apparently, another podcast had talked about whether he rips off his dick in the movie or whether he was always dickless so interesting i've always been of the impression that he's been he has been sans dick for quite a while okay so well that's unanswerable because i 
Yeah, I don't know. I, in some shots, I thought I thought I saw a glimpse of a micro penis. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I I've always taken it that he was dickless, but whatever. So he 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 just pisses through a fucking gaping wound in in between his legs. <laughs> hey, even without a dick, he's still got a hey. That now you know how 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 a woman feels. Just piss uh, like a castle a, freak. <laughs> every woman is like a castle freak because they just have to piss through some gaping wound in between their legs. I'm gonna tell my wife next time she's like, I gotta go pee. I'm gonna tell her she gotta say, I gotta go take a castle freak. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I gotta do my castle freak. Right now. I gotta, I gotta. I'm get, gonna go s- squat and freak in the backyard. I gotta get my castle freak on. <laughs> um. What I had, I had multiple questions. You go ahead first. So my top question goes back to something I, I brought up when we were talking about the inheritance trope. Um, I yes. Guess I just had a question in general about that whole theme. Does this ever actually happen in real life? I want to know. I want to know if there is an actual real life scenario where, say, an American who has no connection whatsoever to their European ancestors or forebears, suddenly they get a check in the mail or whatever, or a call that says, Hey, guess what? You got a castle. Cause I don't know. I've never, I don't know if this actually ever happens. And I want to know, you know, where this, this story springs from. I think it's a, I think it's something that's inherent almost exclusively to tell TV and movies. Yes. Uh, this idea that um like in season seven of saved by the bell i'm not referencing anything specific but like right. season seven of saved by the bell zach's uh, german uncle sends him a letter and says he passed along a bunch of fucking money just for the excuse of hijinks in germany like yeah yeah it doesn't seem like this is based in any sort of reality that's ever happened now if you're from a more affluent family yeah. and you know, the Anheuser Bush fucking estate is handed down to you. You you already knew and had it coming. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I can't think of an instance in which you'd be just be completely oblivious to your duchess side <laughs> of your family that yeah. you just lost connection with. Although they do a good job of explaining it, it not they do good they do a good job of not making it so blatantly obvious as that because his dad ran away with the Duchess's sister. Yes. Making the castle freak his half brother. Yes. Um, so there is, it's not a, it's not a, as much of a blatant connection. There's a story there that the whole reason why the castle freak is even bound and, and tortured and, uh, you know, stays in the dungeon is because his, you know, uh, uh, the father left for the Duchess's sister and she's taking it out on their child. Right. Yeah. So there's not as much of a reach, but still that is a thing. And I just totally, totally fucking weird. Yeah. Um, another question. And again, this is, this obviously involves suspension of disbelief with everything involving fantasy or horror, but how I mean, I know he was fed by his mother, but how would Giorgio actually survive all those decades down there, chained up, never being set loose? I, I 
I know there there's there are real life stories that can be referenced where there's people that are enslaved for decades by you know some maniacs or whatever you know sex slaves and they're just hidden away in the darkness but <laughs> the fact that he he as a as a human you know has entered into into you know such a state of atrophy and adipocere <laughs> by being <laughs> mistreated and left in that in that dungeon you know with just some scraps once in a while you know whatever again that's that's a nitpicky thing though whatever i mean it, it it could be probable but given the fact that he comes out of it being so uh freakishly deformed you would think at some point that the, that motherfucker would have just died but <laughs> you he it's to the point where you just you would just assume that he was born def- with some sort of deformity because you don't just become that deformed through a, a pattern of abuse yeah well and, and so this another making another parallel to other horror movies uh once again this is reminiscent of friday the 13th i keep friday the 13th has been in my consciousness like i watched i watched part four last night i watched part eight the other day so and i made a reference uh to friday the 13th um with um with phenomena obviously with you know argento i feel like trying to kind of cross over a little bit into the slasher genre and that storyline with the mother but yeah it's the same thing like with jason Voorhees, like how how is this person this human so deformed and you know misshapen yeah you you wouldn't think that but again Obviously, that's what creates the the freak, the monster. But still, if we're if we're talking about like you know any sort of actual physiology that would occur to a human in real life, well, I also it it reminded me oddly enough not of a horror movie, but a movie called Murder in the First with Kevin Bacon. Have you ever seen that? Oh, I have not. It's a it's a true story based on a true story about. Um, an individual who served a sentence at Alcatraz and spent weeks to months on end in solitary confinement. Um, and upon, uh, being released, there's a lawyer played, um, by Christian Slater who represents his case and brings brings about justice for him. But upon his release, he almost has like his like back is like fucking he's got like a hunchback his eye has like drooped uh he like takes on an actual deformity through the solitary confinement and not being able to see light for months on end and fucking getting fed in the same way as the castle freak so <laughs> I, this movie actually it made me think of murder in the first and then i looked up murder in the first and i uh it came out the same year as Castle Freak, and I was like, "This is fucking wild! This is so weird!" It came out in 1995, so yeah. So there everyone, was, check out Murder in the First. There was fre- freaks, there was deformity, and freaks on the brain. And 95 was a freaky I, year. It, it was. I mean, I'm sure it was. I'm if sure I, it was. If I, I was. if I really did some recollection in my own life, 1995 <laughs> probably was a freakish year for me as well. I mean, I was. A, I was a I was a teenager then, so there you go. It had to have been freaky. Freakish times. Um, 
that's really it for me, man. I mean, I have some other things, but really it's just, it gets more into it. Again, it gets more into the suspension and disbelief sort of thing, as opposed to like plot hole aspects. There's really no <laughs> plot holes that are, you know, glaring the, in this movie. The only, yeah, I have other ones that I'm not, they're just kind of nitpicky questions. The only one that's, I'm, was genuinely confused about was how does the Duchess die? Just old age. Okay. I didn't really understand. Like she laid down and then it looked like she had shit all over her face. I was like, what the, like not literal shit, but it looked like she was whiter than usual. And I don't know. Was well, okay. So what I would gather is cause she dies immediately after giving Giorgio his, his daily whipping apparently, which mm-hmm. again, if we want to talk about this motherfucker surviving in that dungeon, there's no way if he's getting whipped to shit by that cat of nine tails on the rag that he would survive from it. But anyways, I know the I, infection in his wounds. I digress. Um, but she gives him a pretty hearty beating there. So what I would, what I would uh, conjecture from that is the old ticker just couldn't handle it no more. So she goes upstairs <laughs> and is like, that's it. That's my last whipping. Can't do no what more. A, what a shame! What a shame. Say, uh, put put up the we're uh, we're close sign on the Chateau de Freak. <laughs> I shall cat of nine tails no more. So yeah, so that's it. There's all my questions. Boom. Same. Same. File them away. They're 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 they've been filed. We're going into our our awards categories here. This is, we're coming, we're coming to the home stretch here, everybody. And at the tippity top, well, okay. I can't, I keep fucking this up. Do we want to do the body count? As I actually did pay attention this time. We want to talk. Um, So body count leads the, is the top of the wiki wormhole. Okay. So quotes, right? Quotes. Yep. This is another, not very quotable movie uh, by and large, but there, there are some, that I, I noted um, one was um, when John Riley gets questioned by the Italian police at the very beginning. And he says, why would I break my own mirror to which the cop replies? Maybe you don't like what you saw. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah, it's, like, I didn't, it's, I... it's a little foreshadowing for you. Yeah, too. That too. And he's calling him ugly. Exactly. So he's he's straight dissing him Italo, Italo style. Italo style. And then there is um <clears throat> there is a uh, uh, back and forth between um John John and his wife. What what's his fucking wife name? His wife Susan. Susan, thank you. Uh where they're having a, a, a quarrel and John asks, Are you punishing me? And to which Susan replies, yes, because God didn't. He just let you walk away without a scratch. I had that written down verbatim because that is my favorite quote of the movie. And hands down, I love that line. So, yeah. So those aside, I do have another one, but this is not with, this is not part of the dialogue. This is relating to the movie though. It's, this is kind of a crossover wiki wormhole quote sort of scenario but i'll get to it if you do not have any others do you have any others no that was it so those are the quotes so this quote that i have this relates to what i was talking about earlier with the 
horrible naming of this movie and this this is the backstory of a, a little bit of backstory to this movie being created um so what happened was Stuart Gordon was in Charles Band's office and Charles Band was the executive he was the founder of uh Full Moon Features which this movie came out on and it's like puppet master and a lot of you know pretty well known 80s 90s horror movies underground horror movies came out on full moon but uh gordon was in charles band's office and he noticed a poster entitled castle freak with a quasimodo like man chained to a wall being whipped by a woman on charles band's wall and this is previous to the movie being made and when gordon asked about it band replied well that's a castle and there's a freak Oh my god! <laughs> and so that's why uh, we'll we'll get into this later. But basically, that's why this this movie has the title. But we'll get more into it when we get into the wiki wormhole. Dear Lord! So, anyways, we got that out of the way. So that brings us to spot the dick, right? Yes. Did you spot yourself a dick? Because I, in fact, did. Mine is very obvious out in plain sight uh jeffrey combs jeffrey combs you can't for the that. the myriad of things that he's been in okay you can't do that though what why he's not a dick he's not a dick in this respect yes he is okay i i think to i don't think most people on the street would know who the fuck jeffrey combs is unless you were pretty uh, deep down freak you you are correct there so i'm sorry i i dick shamed you <laughs> i see what you're saying the, the dick can't usually be the in this respect we usually don't pick the lead actor in a role the the role is supposed to do someone has to go to somebody that is doing a lot with a little in respect to the role so it has to be somebody in the movie that is not one of the main characters that's doing a lot with a little. So I gave it to Jeffrey Combs for just it's similar to Dick Miller. His filmography is, is all over the board. Um, and he, he's literally in everything when it comes to B movie stuff and, and Star Trek and, and that sort of stuff. It's more yeah. of an homage to Jeffrey Combs than it is really. Uh, so you're right. And I'm right. Um, well, you're more right because it shouldn't go to him, but I'm going to give it to him anyway. That is true. Well, I have one that is not Jeffrey Combs, and I think you'll be tickled when you learn about this a little bit. This Tickle is, me. I feel like this is me doing to you what you did to me with Ichi, where you were like, you told me about Homeboy, and I was like, oh, oh yeah. Motherfucking Boss Tanaka. How could I? Oh, yeah. Not quite to that extent, but this would be similar when you find out. So the actor. Massimo Sarcelli, Sarcelli, who played Gianetti, which was the caretaker's brother that basically he's introduced them in the very beginning. In the very, very beginning. Where yeah. he, he's there and he ends up uh he ends up in the end also fighting Jeffrey Combs or John Riley. Um so that guy he was also in Mother of Tears and Trauma, which is later Argento movies, but also he is in National Lampoon's European Vacation, 
and he is also in the movie Lady Hawk. So wow. Yeah. So he ha- he had some American uh, theatrical roles, but like kind of more bit parts. But he plays that is good the, shit. He plays one of the thieves in National Lampoon's European Vacation. Oh, um, and now I'm trying to think of what he is in Mother of Tears. But that's awesome. So there you go. Yeah, I really like that one. That one's a that's a better dick. There's my dicks. Uh, Mine's a lazy dick. That's all right. I have some lazy dicks too. Lazy days, lazy dicks. Um, so that brings us to our next category, which, uh, as as has been the case for the past three episodes now, been rebranded to the uh, who would you replace in this movie with Bill Paxton? But I will say this, because I miss our boy how uh, uh, HDS. Um, mm-hmm. I did, I did do both actually with this. Oh. I, did a, I did a Harry Dean Stan. I almost called him Howard Dean Stan. I did a <laughs> Harry Dean Stan and a Bill Paxson. But let's lead it off with you. Who in here would you replace with Billy P? The Pax Attack. So I just had combs across the board. I would just have Bill Paxton in the in the main role. Um, I think he would do more than. Uh, more than fine and maybe he would have glossed over the fake drunk uh better for you he would have been better at that for sure I probably because he would have been actually fucking wasted <laughs> yeah because that's the thing you know that bill paxton was a fucking maniac whereas jeffrey combs seems like he's probably he's a pretty like normal normal guy that's able yeah. to play maniacs yeah you know whereas bill paxton just across the board he's He's a fucking true, freak. true maniac. Yeah, a true maniac. Um, so this is what I had for Bill. I would put Bill in the role of Giorgio. Oh my god! Because he's played some good monsters. I couldn't see him in all that makeup, though. No, you couldn't. But I could see him pulling off a of Giorgio. I could see him doing the performance. <laughs> For sure. I don't know if he would stoop to the level of wearing the bodysuit and doing all that shit, but I could totally see him being a good castle freak. That's a good call. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where my mind went. And like I said, I did want to do a how, uh, God damn it. An an honor. Howard, isn't Howard Dean the guy that went, (laughs) (laughs) who would you replace this movie with Howard Dean? We're going to go to the White House. We're going to go to Castle Freak. I would Howard Dean would be one of the cops. Uh HDS can be the lawyer, I suppose. What did you what did you have for HDS though? So yeah, I had Harry uh Harry Dean standing <laughs> as Giannetti. He'd be the okay. Giannetti. So that checks out. Um okay. Directorial trifecta. Yes, indeedy. Oh boy, do I man, I was like delighted when i made this one because i was so delighted i wrote it down and then i put boom jim balvano says boom baby (laughs) well this one i feel like is fairly easy i don't know what you go first mine was it's right there in front of you my friend reanimator from beyond and dolls it's laid out one two three boom 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 yes um sorry i i had the exact same thing but i'm looking at the rest of his filmography to see if it's really not even close that's what it is 
Absolutely. And dolls. I love that movie. I think it's really, it's another, it's, it's, I feel like that's another kind of overlooked Stuart Gordon movie from my, from and until, my until I looked at his filmography for this, uh, for this podcast, I did not know he wrote honey. I shrunk the kids. I didn't know that either. That's nuts. Holy shit. That, that's really crazy. That's but yeah, cool. we're, we're in agreement. Uh, the, his best three movies in a row, reanimator from beyond and dolls. And if you can fucking believe it made all in two years, 95 to 87. He was well, on three years. Yeah. He was on fire then. That's fucking wild. Yeah. So that's, what that's I an, op- that's an open and shut case there. Um, okay. So now body count, what did I have? So this is what I had for the body count. I wonder I, if we have the same body count. Uh, maybe. So this is what I had. I had six plus one cat. Why do I have eight plus one cat? Okay, so let's break it down. Um, oh, shit. You know what? I did forget something. Uh, so I might have fucked up. You're probably right. So let's break it down. The mom, the duchess, she's dead. The duchess. She died. Uh, the prostitute. That's the prostitute. Um, the two Both cops. cops. Four cops. Um, the, the, the caretaker. How many cops? Two cops. Two cops, so we're at four. The caretaker. That's five. Giorgio and... Jeffrey Combs. There you go. I don't... I think I... Yes. And then the cat. And then who else? Well, I had eight. Um, That is eight if you include the cat, but if it's eight plus the cat, who's the other one? Somebody else... Somebody else dies, and now I can't... Maybe another, maybe an extra cop dies, and I'm not sure. I just um, thought it was the two, the two cops that were at the castle that were guarding it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Seven and one cat. Then. So it was between. It was between what we said. You said six. I said eight. Yeah. So we don't have to keep doing this, but when I was kind of looking at other reviews of this movie, one of the uh, one of the reviewers had this this little added category that I thought was fun that I would just tack onto this one, but uh, uh, a nudie skin factor. (laughs) So with this movie, we get boobs, Bush, we got a dickless scene and we get straight on eating pussy fucking. It's the Holy uh, Trinity of depravity. So there you go. Oh yeah, it's 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 up there. You get you get a real uh, it's a it's a poo poo platter of of body parts. It, it is a it is a scatological spread. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's fall down a wiki wormhole with this movie. Um, some of these we already kind of talked about, so we'll circle back a little bit. Uh, the script was influenced by the Lovecraft story, The Outsider, which I did read. And I I remember when I read it, like I was like, this is a pretty spooky, cool little story. But I honestly can't recall much of the story itself. So I had to kind of like re-remember it when they were talking about what aspects of this story influenced it. Because apparently it, you know, it was just kind of more of a nod to it. It wasn't a, a, a direct readaptation. Yeah, I haven't read it. Um, 
it just seems to be about more about self-isolation and someone that is a recluse and is, has been locked up and isolated for majority of their life in a castle. Right. Right. Which, you know, what was Lovecraft trying to say about himself with that? Well, <laughs> that xenophobic fucking freak wanted <laughs> to be locked up and, and <laughs> kept away from society. So that, that's, that plays just about right. Um, the castle that they shot the movie in was owned by the aforementioned Charles Band, the owner uh, or the the proprietor and executive of of Full Full Moon. Uh, he just Kitchen. owned a fucking castle. Just owned a castle, man. If you if you go back and you look at this guy's output as far as what he had his hand behind production wise, this motherfucker was slanging the wow. movies. Oh yeah, it's like three hundred movies. That this, Jesus guy had, Christ. that this guy had a hand in and i would also think that you know from what i've gathered and just i don't know a whole lot about this backstory but i i know enough from you know reading what other people have said and reading about this movie i feel like there was there was some shenanigans going on there was some some bad some bad money going on where this guy he i think he probably like spread himself a little too thin and you know invested in certain projects and wasn't able to you know, cough up cash. Apparently they were, they were short on cash with this movie even. Um, yeah. This seems like one of the most low budget movies that he ever did. Like this is really low budget. Yeah. So that goes, that, that ties into what I was saying about with the the castle freak title. So again, the title comes from that, that poster, the hypothetical movie poster, that Charles Band had at his office. And when Gordon had inquired about wanting to do the movie, Charles Band insisted, he's like, you can do whatever you want with it, but it's got to have a castle, it's got to have a freak, and it's got to have that title, essentially. So, you know, that's the thing. If it would have been called anything else, and if there wouldn't have been some, what seems to be some botching in the release, this movie probably would have been a little bit more recognized because what i gather this movie was supposed to have a theatrical release and it would never did it had a direct, it was direct to video it was a direct to video release but it was supposed to be theatrically released in halloween of 1994 or 5 and that never happened based on i i vividly remember this i don't know if you do but i i this is one of those movies that just stood out at blockbuster because of the cover yeah uh i Same. vividly remember Same. the cover and that's the only reason like me and my friends like rented it. We we're like, holy sh- look at this. It's castle freak. And it's like this creepy ass dude on the front. Like, like so they did a great job. If they were going to make it direct to video, they were going to put it all out there on the cover. And it worked because freaks like us, uh, rented it in droves. Absolutely. That's what I mean. Everything about this movie is fucking cool. Even yeah, that cover is super cool and, and eye catching and, the the typography of the title is really cool and eye-catching it's just the name itself just sucks i fucking hate it it's very lazy um so this was funny (laughs) this little tidbit this film was blessed by the vatican for fears of its effect on its viewers (laughs) i didn't know that that was the thing that the vatican did but it blesses horror movies obviously yeah obviously uh I would say, you know, 
uh, there's been uh, plenty of other more noteworthy movies that had to have been like The Exorcist or The Omen. But if if Castle Free gets a blessing, then I would imagine they would. But well, you'd think they would be too busy with an altar boy's dick in their mouth to fucking worry about this kind of shit. But Ooh. Oh. yeah, you oh, think- I, I took it too far. <laughs> You, you, they're, they're the they, castle freaks i know they really are the vatican freaks, <laughs> the church freaks. i'd watch i'd watch that i'd watch well, that movie let's let's watch let's make let's make let's let's start you and i will we'll collaborate on our first uh our first screenplay our first uh script called vatican freak <laughs> <laughs> oh god I don't know. So I mean, I'm I'm it, down. Hey, right now I, I'm our, a dickless mutant priest that's been locked away. It could be like it could totally. Hey, here we go. It could totally be like an homage to the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And, okay. And um, uh, Phantom of the Opera melded with Lovecraft, melded with, with Castle Freak. Here we go. Boom. But instead that, of Quasimodo, it's just like a hunched over uh castrated pope who's fellationing uh altar boy to death i think we got a hit man (laughs) um i would watch absolutely 100 percent uh real brain matter here we go with another use of actual real human anatomy real brain matter used for the climax scene why why not why Hey, where did they get brain matter? I don't know. So they smashed someone's brain for what, for what specific scene? What, what person in craft services got fired and dispatched for this movie? What catering person, <laughs> what, 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 what grip or best boy was like, Hey, you're not cutting it. You're fired. Oh, Gordon uh, was like, we'll use those brains though. We're going to, we're going to use your brains though. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Anything else? I don't have any. Re- I was just looking forward to hearing your research. So that was uh, highly entertaining. Thank you. Applause for me. You did a great, you did a great job. Take a bow. All right. So there we go. We wrapped that movie up. There's another one in the can, the old clinker. And we got to rate this puppy before we move on. So let's set up a a rating scale and I can, we need to establish symbols, iconography. What do you think should be uh, the ratings uh, iconography for this movie out of five? What? I said five dead cats, five dead cats. That's a good one. I'm not even going to think any further. Five dead cats. I'm going to leave it to you out of five dead cats. What would you give this movie? At? Four out of five dead cats. I'm right there with you. And is there any discussion needed as to where on the clock this lands in terms of a midnight rating? Uh, it's 12 a.m. If I could put 5 a.m., I would. I wouldn't take it that far. I mean, it's got it's got some choice grotesque scenes. I would put it at a one o'clock. Oh, Just, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. hyperbole aside, yeah. we agree that this is midnight or beyond. Yes. So this is this is 12 to one around there. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Now that we got that all out of the way, what are we watching next time, Pat? What have you picked for us? What is on the platter? So in honor of our of our Billy P uh 
uh, newly christened Billy P category, I thought we would just bring it on home and do arguably the best Bill Paxton performance, uh, Severin in the movie Near Dark. Shit, goddamn, get off your ass and jam. <laughs> it's gonna be a good one. And, um, I think it's my favorite vampire movie of all time. And I don't even think it's close. I, I fucking love that movie. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, 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 a it's a close second to interview with a vampire. Just kidding. <laughs> I do like interview with a vampire. No, you don't I, like it. <laughs> no, I actually do. <laughs> it's a close second to queen of the damned. There it is. I fucking hate is. that piece of shit so much, but anyway, that is a piece of shit. I digress, dude. So sick. Yeah. One of the best, if not, I mean, arguably the best vampire movie, best modern vampire tale to be put to celluloid. I'll tell you what, motherfucker. I agree. This and is maybe, so maybe upon this viewing, it'll, it'll just skyrocket even farther into our, into our, uh, thoughts. You know, uh, speaking of skyrocketing, I tell you what, I got a boner just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's some choice little trivia tidbits too that I can't wait to talk about with that one too. Uh, all right. Very cool. We'll see you next time with that one. And this has been another deep dive into midnight movie madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music this week is brought to you by Seattle based band death cave. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. That's midnightflixpod. Or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. For Patrick Mitchell, I am Adam Walker, and we'll see you next time. Beep, boop, bye. Bye.